0: You're bum for that bro you can't you get mad you just sitting here,
1: stopping these breathing right look now. At he him. he's breathing right now bro look at bro, him get going, off of him now like, what is wrong with like, what the fuck he got oh, made he got made <laughs> I'm I'm not not out. Out. He, no, he cannot, not you have one. Get out here. No, first of all. Bro, look, bro, you can check him. He's not responsive oh, right now. He's off. Off. He's not responsive look at him. Right he's, not not right right he's not responsive right, right now. No, he's no, not responsive right now. He's not responsive right now, bro. No, bro, look at him. He's not responsive right now, bro. Check her a post. Bro, are you serious? Let me see a post. Is he breathing uh, right uh, now? Uh, check, uh, his uh, have this conversation. check his pulse. Okay. Check his pulse. Check I'm his pulse, Tao. Tau. Check his pulse. Tao, Check his pulse, bro. Bro, bro check his pulse, bro. You right. bogus, bro. You, do you bogus. Don't do drugs, bro. You you do drugs, bro. What is that? Do drugs, what is that? do drugs, you think that is? You so you call? where he doing? Okay? Get back the call. where he doing? Okay? Shit, my head. My head hurts, y'all. I'm. I'm mentally. I'm I'm physically, I'm emotionally just drained. And I can't decide honestly if I'm if I'm tired, if I'm sick to my stomach, if I'm sad, or honestly, if I'm just pissed off. Another black man, George Floyd, has been killed. And my heart just hurts, y'all.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I hear you, Mike. You know, rest in power, George Floyd. Mm. Oh. I'm, I'm feeling frustrated and I know we kind of touched on it a little earlier, Mike, you know, I don't mean to sound like a reductionist or have that vibe come off, but I'm feeling like I'm going through some sick and twisted societal deja vu, <laughs> you know, like I've done, sure. like I've done this before repeatedly because we have done this before. And I think that just already calls into motion what we're going to talk about today and You know, my black and brown brothers and sisters are living in this disgusting version of that Bill Murray movie, Groundhog's Day. But it's just this, it's in society. And, and, you know, but even more so, my black comrades are living this. And, you know, as somebody who considers himself a person of color, I can't help but notice that other people of color are frustrating even more or uh, suffering on it, even exponentially more so rate, you know, and I'm, I'm frustrated because I'm noticing my own desensitization to this pattern of injustice and equity, where it's just like, Oh, yeah, it just seems to become like uh, every other day. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I feel, I feel horrible saying it, but it's, it's the truth where it's, you know, it's like, it's sort of just to be expected. And, 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 and again, that's where I'm feeling frustrated and disgusted within my own self. And, you know, and I grew up in LA in the nineties. And so I went through the Rodney King situation and, and even as a child, I could feel the racial tension as much as you could feel the smog in the atmosphere of LA and it just permeates your body. And so, you know, I'm just, and I'm just super frustrated.
0: Yeah, I, I, I hear all those, those, those words and, you know, um, uh, Amir Baraka, a poet, right, Black poet, you know, really talked about the change the same, right? So the more things that, you know, the more things that change, the more things that stay the same. And, um, you know, my feeling, you know, it's just awful. You know, I'm still processing my feelings. Uh, it's kind of hard to even talk about a lot of things um claudia rinkin uh she had said that the condition of black life is a it's a one of mourning this was in she published this in the new york times and mm-hmm. and, and, and that's kind of where i'm at just you know as a person as a black man in this country you know i, I kind of forgot that we're actually in a pandemic right COVID 19 is really happening man. um uh black lives are you know risking their lives during the pandemic in order to stop police from killing us um and I really hope that people really understand it, the gravity of, of all that,
1: right? You know, so it's hard. Mm-hmm. Welcome to NABCAST, a podcast produced by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle, Washington, on the traditional lands of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish tribe. Today's, today's a special recording in the aftermath of the mortar of George Floyd. I'm your co-host Mike Brown, proud Afro-Caribbean black, and my pronouns are he and him.
2: I'm your other co-host Nick Terrones, Mexican Native American, and my pronouns are he him. And the third voice you heard today was my
1: man's Amir. Amir, welcome to the podcast. You know, let the let the world know a little bit about yourself, man.
0: Yeah, welcome, yeah. Amir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, y'all. So, yeah, so my name is Amir Gilmore uh, Black. My pronouns are he, him. Uh, Currently located in Pullman, Washington. What, what? Go Cougs. Go
2: Cougs.
0: And I am an assistant professor in cultural studies and social thought and education at Washington State University. Um, I've always been an educator and I'm currently a teacher educator for secondary education. Uh, Mike and I actually go back for like a minute, probably since 2013, I, I think. Mike, um, yeah. yeah, with the with the Step program at uh, University of Albany. So UA, you, you know, you know, uh, <laughs> Mike, uh, you know, you know, Mike played a tremendous role in providing like mentoring and tutorial tutorial services for youth of color. So um, you know, I'm grateful to know that he's still continuing this work in Seattle. So it's all
1: love. It really is. And I appreciate you coming out here and the, and the work you're doing out there. Um, so once again, thanks for joining us in there. And, you know, this this has been nuts, right? These, these last couple of deals, last couple of days have felt so surreal. And I just want to hear from you, too. How have you been experiencing this and, and living with
2: this? Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'll go and. You know, as I kind of mentioned, just kind of a lot of introspective feeling on on why I'm, I'm feeling the ways I am. And, and a lot of times I like to ask myself, well, so what? And so with that, my so what is I'm trying to use this as motivation and the motivation, again, to figure out ways to distill this big, complex information with the young children that I work with, with the two and three year olds that I'm with for eight hours a day. Um, And as you know, Mike, like, as you've gotten to know me, you know, I I talk a big game about children being capable of learning and understanding societal complications and using that and talking about it in age appropriate ways. And then also how education is a means of fostering critical thinking and developing pro-social citizenship. So now I'm really like, I'm feeling motivated, especially, you know, talking with you as we do offline at school. Well, I'm really taking it to the next level. Level, like, how can I find ways to diligently put put all of my thinking into action, into real action? And really, now, and I want to know and how I can stem these teachings and explorations with young children in a way that is pro-black. You know, does that does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I
0: hear that. And, um, you know, I guess I I would just say, you know, I I love being Black. You know, I've been Black for, I'm going to be 30 uh, in a few days, right? And so I love being Black, but, uh, you know, being Black in the anti-Black world is 100% Mm exhausting. I'm totally like exhausted, right? And I think that people fail to realize that anti-Blackness is like a total climate in this country, right? Like we talk about the weather, like it is always present. Um, And so, you know, not even just it, only in this country, but just around the world. Um, you know, and I, I keep seeing all these advertisements and commercials, statements, talking about going back to normal, right? And um, mm-hmm. normal, and I'm like, you know, normal for who? You know, and, um, you know, no, America hasn't been normal if you're a person of color, but especially if you're black, uh, you know, so just full stop. And I think people fail to realize that. Um, and I have really no interest in returning to any normal that imperils my life, especially the lives of black people.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Amir, it, and yeah, hearing that, and you know, and to be quite honest and really frank, and I don't, and I hope there's other, I'm sure there's others out there as well, like this, um, the reality of anti-black didn't, it really just didn't hit me until like recently, you know, and I think in my subconscious, it was there, but I think we always just sort of wrapped it up as just in a very simplistic way of racism, right? Mm-hmm. But really, it's all these constructs that are geared towards anti-blackness and and that's just hitting me like you know a ton of bricks and and I am right there with you. we cannot go in back go back to normal because going back to normal is simply bottling all of this back up and slowly shaking it again until it pops off again. And then going back to normal implies that we're okay as a society with sacrificing the lives of African-Americans, Black men specifically. Going back to normal suggests that we should continue to accept the institutionalized systems that oppress all Americans in one fashion or another. So yeah, no more normal, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, man, normal hasn't worked for any of us, Mm -hmm. right? So
1: if we're talking about liberating and being a liberated society, we can't achieve that without everyone being liber- liberated. Yeah. So going back to this normal, this idea of normal, take that to the grave because, <laughs> literally, if we do go back to normal, I will be.
0: Mm-hmm. That's um, deep,
1: Amir, I I know you're super close with your mom's, right? Yeah. She's Still back in the city, New York City. And have you had a chance to talk to her about this, and how is she just kind of like processing all of this as someone who has a black son? In
0: right, and so you know, I you know, I was just talking to my mom about this last weekend, and so you know, before you know, George Floyd was was murdered, right? You know, we had COVID, and where I'm from is New Rochelle, New York, was one of the first places that was like the hot spot in New York, so. Um, you know, my mom has been, you know, taking this day by day, and so you know, but she's tired. You know, she's sixty-four; she's getting ready to retire. You know, she's lived through the civil rights movement. Like you know, my mom has seen so much life in this country, mm. um, and so it ain't it ain't no new thing to her. You know, but she's just tired. um So right, so my family's just processing COVID because you know we lost one onto the virus, and another was in the hospital for about two months, and so it's been heavy on our family. So like now, this is just you know. It's like, well, what else can happen in this country, right? Um, And, you know, I know that my mom doesn't always show it because, you know, she feels need to be strong, right? I think about the stereotype of, like, you know, how Black women need to be that strong Black figure. Um, But I I worry, you know, I know that she worries all the time about me and my brother all the time. You know, my brother, he just turned 33. Uh, You know, I'm about to be 30. My brother has two kids. And so, you know, to be Black in America, right, it's not about if. But it's more about when something's going to happen to you. And mm. you can literally give this country everything. And it will still take your life and, and brand you as a criminal, right? So it's just, it's it's wild. It, it truly is wild.
1: Yeah. Now, I'm thinking back just to a couple of nights ago. And I was sitting, I was sipping a little bit of Henny, you know, <laughs> to uh, numb the pain. And my homegirl hit me up. And was like, what are your thoughts on people using these protests not to talk about Black Lives Matter, but instead to use it as a platform to talk about gender equality or, you know, still this horrifying situation that's happened at the border with children still being detained? And honestly, it was, it really was a sobering question. Once again, I was sipping on that honey. Um, my response. My response was a lengthy one, but here's a quick here's a, like a quick snippet of what I what I said to her. And I quote: first of all, this isn't the oppression Olympics. Like I'm not trying to get the most gold medals for being part of a group that has been treated the worst in, in history, right? And secondly, as a marketing guy, you know I went to school for it. The most successful marketing strategy ever created." in my eyes, was the white man successfully pitting communities communities of color against each other. Yep. So let's crystallize racist, racism within America for a second. It's above all based off of anti-Black principles. And that's not just white people being anti-Black. That's everyone including Blacks. There are Black Latinx. There's Black Asians. There's Black Pacific Islanders, et cetera, et cetera. And we have all internalized these anti-Black principles. I believe we need to intentionally use this time to focus on dismantling anti-Black racism so we can all be liberated. End of story. Full stop. It's an undeniable fact that Black bodies are just treated differently in the U.S. Look at our healthcare system. Look at our education system. And clearly, you've seen it, right? We are treated like dogs in the streets. It's egregious, it's reprehensible. And, and don't get me wrong, I feel y'all pain my DACA brothers and sisters. You know, I'm, I'm humbled, my brothers and sisters who are affected by generational trauma due to displacement, due to war, due to genocide. And in 2020, where being Black is still considered a crime in our society, Let me repeat that. Being Black is still considered a crime in our society. We need to amplify the voices of our Black brothers and sisters right here, right now. Right. So, Amir and and, 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 and Nick, I'm just trying to hear how you two are going about addressing anti-Blackness in your community.
0: Right, right, and so you know, it just even to to piggyback off of you know what you just said, Mike. Like being black is a crime. Like we just witnessed last week, you know, a black man in Central Park bird watching, um, mm-hmm. and you know, being threatened by you know a white woman, her weaponizing her tears and her womanhood just to get this man killed. Right, and so, um, it's it's wild, and you know, the you know, number one, this country is not over race, right? America's not post racial. You know, we said that when we have Barack Obama, but you know, we're not, we are not a post-racial country. Um, So so secondly, like anti-blackness is foundational to the United States just as white supremacy, right? And so Mm -hmm. I I feel like it's so hard for folks to listen to rally behind and support black people. And, you know, in the 21st century, the color line, right? So we're going back to W.E.B. Du Bois. uh, It's not simply just like a black versus white thing anymore, right? It's a black versus a non-black, right? And so uh, the America, the American racial imaginary is structured against Black life. And this racial line maintains, maintains so much of, of American social life. And you kind of see this going on right now with, with protests. Um, and, you know, no matter what era America has existed in, everyone understands that your life may not be the greatest, but at least you're not Black. And, you know, mm, yeah. so... In 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 Pullman, where I'm at, right, and on the WSU campus, you know, I feel that Black students really understand that the the undergrad, the grad students, they really hold it down. They're really about the activism and support. You know, I feel that other students of color really understand that. So there are solidarity at times, uh, but when we really get to white people understanding the, the pervasiveness of anti Blackness, uh, they, they tune it out, uh, and it's it's sad because you know, like, what is it's a such a privilege to to tune these things out and yeah it just it's it's wild
2: yeah it, and yeah amir you bringing up wweb du bois um it reminded me of when i was a, at wazoo as a student cornell west came through and spoke and boy that made the students of color come together like no other thing and that was like one of my first like um i had always had like sort of um Pretty, uh, I guess, you know, pro people of color kind of uh, political aspirations and whatnot, but that definitely stoked the fire a little bit more. And um, even if you didn't know who he was, like myself at the time, the energy he subtly brought and the must- message he gave really invigorated the black and brown communities specifically. And I've been hooked on Cornell West for some time now and, you know, great black philosopher for America. And And so, yeah, you bringing that up made me think, uh, bringing up Du Bois made me think of that. And one thing I, and kind of tying into what you're both saying, one thing that I've read of Cornel West recently is that black lives just fully have never been accepted on a human level on one side. And, you know, and let's get a little political here. On one side, you have liberals who suggest, well, if we fund social programs enough, they'll be able to reach a quote, unquote, certain level of quality of life. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have conservatives who suggest, well, if they just did better and behave like the rest of us, then they'd be successful. So essentially, you have the liberal side that suggests that black lives are like ought to be included and integrated, while Mm -hmm. the conservative side suggests, well, that that they need to prove and have merits that deem their black lives worthy of acceptance into American society yet black lives just like everybody's life is it's it, but specifically black lives are neither additions or defections from american life but they should be seen as essential elements to the american life and that was something really big that struck me from cornell west was that you know it's it uh, i think he called it as um i might be butchering it here but like the problem people right that they have that black mm. lives, black lives, are problems to either be solved or, or to be uh, adapted. Not mm. and, and it's just really, just really interest, um, interesting, and 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 quite sad, to, a sad perspective to kind of take.
1: So you started talking about white supremacy and anti black racism, and some people start to tune out. Mary, you work with young adults, eighteen to like twenty-one year olds. How might you have a deliberative dialogue with your students around these topics?
0: Ooh, um, well, you know it, that's, that's that's a good question. And so, you know, I've been pretty quiet on on, on social media because I've just been really reflecting on stuff. But I've been getting emails from like former students asking me questions, like you know, what can I do? You know, what? Yeah, you know, so I give them articles. Um, but you know, I would say like as a, as a black teacher educator teacher educator in a, in a field that's very white um it's really hard and you know i try everything and i'm really tired right and so uh you know that's why i joke and say that's why i'm starting to go gray right and so um but you know for me it's it's all about literature and you know sometimes my students hate the fact that like they have to read books and books but i'm like well how else do you learn right sometimes mm-hmm. you gotta read you, you don't know. know what you don't know until you start reading right um And so, you know, people assume that, you know, racism and anti-black actions are, you know, just the work of a a small group of like dumb, ignorant, racist people, right? Um, And, you know, many folks forget that race and racism have been carefully constructed for the last four or 500 years, right? And so, I mean, you know, philosophers sat down and really thought about this. They, They sculpted this thing out, right? And so, you know, race and racism is really an intellectual endeavor. So my aim is really to get students to, you know, understand that by by reading. Um, you know, James Baldwin had said, like, you know, you think, you know, I'm paraphrasing, right? But uh, really talking about the idea, like, you know, you might think that your life is terrible um, and then you read. Right. And so you just read more about the world. And it's like, wow, this is this is bigger than me. Right. Um, and so, you know, you what you find is that so much of. So much, uh, so much hatred and, and vitriol of black people is really written in books. Um, mm-hmm. And so, one of my favorite books to get folks to read is *The Racial Contract* by Charles W. Uh, w. Mills. Um, and Mills really spells it all out about like how, like you know, black life is just structured lower uh, to to advance uh, to white white people and whiteness and white supremacy, right? And spells it all out how it plays out in healthcare and education, the criminal justice system, right? Like this is well thought out. Uh, you know, so like in my classroom, like you know, one of the things is like I really try to get like white folks to really get over the the good and bad binary of racism, right? And so, and it's really totally exhausting, be, you know, because um, you know I meet a lot of nice white people, and you know like they donate to causes, you know they might be protesting right now, but they 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 could be just racist, right? And you know, it's it's I mean, you know, that's just. That's, that's just the truth of the matter right you know there's a lot of educators that are also very nice people that want to love children but are racist right um, and so you know as a teacher educator I really try to call people in to have these conversations and um, you know some semesters are you know it's good others it's bad you know but either way I- I'm still going great
2: uh, um yeah and you know the. the- it's not, it's not enough to just say that you're not racist, right? And Angela Davis, like, um, I came across this quote from her uh, through a different article. Um, she says that in a racist society, it's not enough to to be non-racist. We must be anti-racist. And so, yeah, just because you're donating or protesting or whatever doesn't really, I guess, show the whole picture of 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 the actions. Yeah. So we need to commit ourselves to being anti-racist Amir. Mike told me that you got your PhD and yeah, yeah, congratulations. That's awesome. Uh, And research focused on the sounds of black boy joy to heighten the awareness of joy and hope through listening and listening. Isn't typically that we do with black people. And we don't listen to y'all and we don't even believe in y'all. I mean, based off of the actions in society that we're seeing. Um, but, you know, we're listening now. So what makes black children joyful? And how can we use that to recreate the narrative for our black boys to show that it doesn't end up with them in prison or a knee on their neck saying, I can't breathe while they're calling for their moms? Right. And then that's a that's a deep Deep question. And so, um, you know, I I would say that
0: like how I arrived to even studying this is, uh, you know, if you do like even a search on Google Scholar or whatever, you type in black boys, you'll get on, you know, black boys are deficient, black boys are angry black voices. It's never anything that's ever really affirming. Um, mm-hmm. Or, you know, no researcher really just goes out the way and just asks, like, you know, what makes black boys joyful? What gives black boys joy? Right. And so, right. Um, you know, you know, America really has not listened to the sounds of black children. I mean, like just black people in general, but just black children. Right. And so, um, you know, so within the uh, the white racial imaginary, you know, you know, black children are, are painted as deviant, they're painted as criminals. Um, and so. But more often, you know, what we also see is that, you know, Black children are not even seen as children because of uh, adultification, right? And So they face age compression. And so um, I think about Tamir Rice, you know, the 12-year-old uh, a Black child, Black boy in, in Ohio that was playing with a, a toy gun in the park, and the mm. cops just jumped out and just shot him within two seconds. Yeah. Um, and, and they never asked. Uh, you know, Tim Eric Rice any questions, uh, but they thought he was a grown man, right, and so um, just, it, you know, the, that that really sticks into to my mind, and so when we talk about, like, you know, joy, you know, um, to me, you know, from the research that I'm doing and continue to do, uh, what, what makes uh, Black children joyful, you know, is pride and self-determination in themselves, which for me is truly moving, right, and and I, I really think about with all the happenings in the world. You know, black children are, you know, making things happen for themselves and people within this world, right? You know, um, we're seeing a lot of even like black youth really lead some of these these these, these movements and these uprisings now. And so, you know, it's not not to say that anti black racism and heterosexism doesn't really affect the lives of black children, uh, but it is to say that they resist and refuse these discourses and make spaces for themselves, right? Um, you know, how, I mean, I think about um, Mari Kopanyi, right? And so, you know, who since she was eight years old has been fighting for the people of Flint, Michigan to get, you know, clean water, right? Um, and they still don't. They still don't. They still don't. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, I'll just make a little caveat here that like, you know, just about a lot of Americans got $1,200 for a, uh, a check from the government, but, you know, Flint still can't get you no know, free water. Right. And so, this, this this government could have given flint free anyway um, <laughs> yeah so I, you know I, I think about her life and but I, she also found time to be a black girl in this world which is like truly like that's powerful right and so um but recently i think happened even the start of this year i think about the incident with uh the 17 year old uh DeAndre arnold Uh, who refused to cut his dreadlocks to a proper length to comply with the the dress code in Texas, right? And, uh, you know, the implications for me show that Black boys can resist, subvert, and refuse these anti-Black confrontations by valuing the mattering of their lives, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like Arnold, DeAndre Arnold, he just said, I ain't going to do it, right? And so, because he knew that policy was going to, you know, really destroy a piece of him that meant so much to him, Right. Um, And so the the actions of of many Black children are liberatory practices that are rooted in, you know, a critical disposition of radical Black subjectivity. And, you know, I I get that notion from from Bell Hooks, and she asked the question, um, how do we create an oppositional worldview, uh, a consciousness, an identity, a standpoint that exists not only as, not only as that struggle, which has also opposes dehumanization but as that movement which enables creative expansive self-actualization right and and so to to kind of sum this up right you know in in a sense you know black black joy and black boy joy are, are social and spiritual practices of turning inward and and really just resisting that that white gaze right and so um you know and i i really where my future research goes is really just looking at like, you know, what would educational policies look sound and feel like if black boys uh, were encouraged to invoke refusal in their lives, you know? And so Mm -hmm. we really do more research about like how black boys, but just black children make meaningless realities and and make, you know, have mattering of their lives in the face of, you know, all these anti-black confrontations. So it's, yeah.
1: Yeah. We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including Workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching, and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST. Please visit www.hilltopcc.org. Nick, you just heard about Black Boy Joy and mm-hmm. ways the mayor has envisioned how adults can rethink the way they view Black children and to believe in and understand Black oppression. So, how can you take this into the preschool classroom?
2: <laughs> yeah, that you always give me the hard questions, Mike. <laughs> and you and and you know and it's it's interesting cuz I think when we just think about the general idea of children, right? There's that there's that unfair saying of children are better seen and not heard and um and in you know, I think based off of what you were what we're discussing now, perhaps it's safe to say that in, in our racialized anti-black society that black children are better off not seen or heard right and they and again it goes back to what I was saying earlier that that they are expected to conform to a a, a culture that's already ex- in existence and everything that you had described Amir about the black boy joy there's nothing all everything that you said, it, it just screams th- what it means to be an American in this country, right? To to mm-hmm. to to stand up for your individual rights, your uh what's the word, inalienable rights that no one can take away from you. And, and and it just made it gave me goosebumps hearing that where I'm like, young black boys are probably the most American, you know, sort of uh citizens mm-hmm. here. And yet they're not treated as such. And the idea of being American is this other thing that is written by these other people. And that is just, it. it's just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I guess what I'm going there, or, where I'm going with that is, and I'm going to, you know, just specifically for black and brown children, and especially black children, you know, believing that they are as capable And that they do bring an inherent understanding of the world and that we have to, we have to expect brilliance from them. Because if we don't, even at the preschool level, then that's just what's going to be expected of them as they move up. And I think this needs to be considered when working and playing with black and brown children, that they are brilliant in their play and in their, in their walking in life. Um, And so I guess, you know, uh, in the preschool level, it's, I, I guess I would just kind of continue to practice that with, you know, with children, if, if I'm fortunate enough to have more black and brown children, cause you know, Mike, we don't really have a whole lot. So, Mm -hmm. you know, when I do have that opportunity to, to be, to work and play with black and brown children, I'm going to carry that, that expectation of brilliance from them and, and then really try to model that for other educators as well
0: right and, and you know nick just listening you know to your words you know i, I hear that the, the word play right and um you know play that that word play the notion of play it's such a powerful powerful word and you know in this country you know we we fail to to give children you know uh, especially black children time to play and, um, you know, play is such an important aspect for the growth and development of children. You know, I mean, hell, I mean, all of us as adults, we, we like to play as well. Right. So um, we sometimes we, we fail to consider the notion of play for for for, for children. Um, and, you know, I think about with increased testing standards and zero tolerance policies and these other racist policies that are geared towards punishing black children. You know the black children are not really given even the, the time to play right and so and you know these these notions go all the way out you know back to to chattel slavery right and so um you know kids as young as three and four were put to work right and the expectation of this never just working and never ever experiencing any type of play um it's, you know that denial of joy and so um you know this is why you know I, I always argue that educators need to read and have an in-depth analysis about race because you know what we're talking about is not a no new thing, right? And so, it, this we need to do more. Mm-hmm. What I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: I'm glad y'all brought up play as well because I was just thinking I was reading a couple of weeks ago. My homegirl Ijima Jordan down in in L.A is constantly writing and discussing and talking and having discourse about how play is an equity issue. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. hearing it from, uh, hearing it from both of y'all who work with completely different um, age groups is is amazing. And you're making my job hella easy, (laughs) y'all. It's just, it's so cool just to about having both of you on here is that we're we're getting to hear that two different perspectives on human development, one working with the leaders of today, and, and one working with the generation of tomorrow. You know, of course, what's missing from this conversation is the educator working with you know elementary or school age cho- ch- School age children. So I'm thinking about this next question, and I'm gonna shoot it to Nick first, and then we're gonna follow up with the mayor. But Nick, when kids are graduating from our program talk to me a little bit about what you have taught them in regards to systems culture uh, modern law policies that promote inequities and what do you hope elementary educators continue to do as a progress development and then and then for mayor, i'm gonna get to you after i hear what nick says
2: cool yeah. and you know you know what i really love and respect mike is that you you take these big these big concepts and i think a lot of the listeners are going to be like what it, what do you mean he talks to preschoolers and especially toddlers <laughs> about things <laughs> about culture systems and modern laws and you know and we that's because we have a respect for children and we mm. got to have a respect and an honor for especially the black and brown children in our classes and we again expect brilliance if we expect brilliance then we know that they're going to be able to digest these these themes at an age-appropriate level um you know i i mostly just kind of capitalize on where they're at developmentally you know for a two to three year old they're developmentally their brain is working on categorization like what goes where what what's the meaning of this compared to the meaning of this compared to the meaning of myself who am I as myself? You know, they're going through all these meta, metaphysical, and metacognitive um, leaps and bounds, and so you know, to disrupt their thinking or give them a little bit, or give them something else to think about, th- that it, it it lays the foundation for them to be able to to build up as they move into their uh, in their educational lives. And I hope that their teachers will honor their observations and questions about the world. And I hope that their future teachers are equipped with the necessary dispositions to talk about complex societal topics like racism, sexism, family makeup. And I hope that they do this with the lens of cultivating an equitable society, regardless of their own personal opinions on such matters. You know, I really hope for the children that their future teachers see them as capable of exploring and understanding the things that make us all human. Mm. I hear that, that's powerful. That's deep.
1: So for you, Amir, right? They, we, you know, as early childhood educators, we pass them all along to the elementary and then the high school years. Um, and that's a big gap before they get to you. So what do you need elementary and high school educators to do before they get to your class, and then what are you what are you instilling in them to prep them when they're in your class for resisting, for innovating, and for advocating for for Black lives when they enter the working world?
0: Right. Well, you know, Nick, I don't, I don't know. I think this is a this is a tough question too here, and so um, I, I really do appreciate this this question because you know. I mean, educators. I mean, we're you know, I don't we're 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 I don't want to say like an essential worker, but like we we mean so much. We are uh, we really are part of that change, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really believe that educators are, are capable of fostering you know meaningful educational vi- uh, environments that sustain the priorities of of just Black childhoods, right? Um, and so, you know, but for me, you know, the, the absence of, of, of culturally relevant and culturally sustaining pedagogy. Uh, maintains like an essentialized uh, static and a deficit description of black children in schools. Yeah. And, and and if educators and, and, you know, educational researchers want to be effective in combating anti-blackness, they must commit to seeing it, right. They got to see that anti-blackness is like a, a developmental wall that really prevents black children from just experiencing life, right. And, and joy, uh, and so I, I really need, you know, elementary and secondary education teachers to really talk about George Floyd, talk about uh, Leon Taylor, talk about uh, Amon Aubrey, talk about Sean Reed, I mean, talk about, you know, Tony McDade. Um, I, I need them, yeah, you know, and I, I need them to talk about, you know, why Black Lives Matter. And I feel like that's such a, a, a big missing piece. And. You know, I I need teachers to, it can't just be me just educating people, right? Like, I need teachers out in the field um, to really talk about police brutality and anti-Black racism because that's what their their students are experiencing. But, you know, if students are not experiencing it, it could be their parents, it could be their friends. I mean, like, if you are Black, you're experiencing so many oppressive things at, at so many different points. Um, and so when, you know, when teachers fail to do so, they, they reify that belief that, that black lives do not matter. Right. It's a very implicit type of curriculum that's that's implied. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, as teachers, you know, our credo is to believe that every student can be successful. And so <laughs> that 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 is it. Right. And so to, to sometimes to see teachers fail that credo. Uh, I mean, don't be a teacher. do something else with your life. Right. And yeah. so. Um, Diane Watson really said that, you know, um, she said this, that what, what teachers see out of a child is what they produce out of the child mm-hmm. teachers are cultural gatekeepers. I hope that they understand the power that they hold. So, you know, again, we are, we are part of this change. Right. And so, uh, I hope that like every black child deserves to be seen and have their identities, their cultures, their histories, uh, to be valued and sustained. And if, if educators can't see the full child, like how could they actually listen to them? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, to support the desires and the futures of, of black children, you know, teachers must listen. They have to bear witness to their social realities and they have to be committed to seeing the, the full child in all of their beauty. Right. Um, it, it's rare that I hear that people see black as good or black as beautiful. Right. And so as a teacher, you need to see the whole child. But um, I think more so to your question, Mike, you know, um, I, for me, it's, well, what are white teachers are going to give up? You know, what are they going to refuse? Right. Like, how are they going to be anti-racist in their curriculum and their policies? You know, I, I want to see teachers refuse to accommodate white cultural school norms you know, that reify like these monolithic tropes of black children. Right. And, and by doing so, schools can really create bonds that positively support the, the thoughts, the beliefs, and behaviors of Black children. Um, and, and, you know, lastly, I, I would just say this, you know, I say this to all the teachers, especially white teachers that are listening, um, pre-service, in-service, you know, y'all need to read, you know? Like, stop asking Black people, you know? I'm tired, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> stop asking anything, you know? Shoot, let memo me, let me, me some money, right? Um, yeah. But what I... What I would say is like, you know, please don't tell me that you don't understand race in this country. When, when America, and uh, has given you so many black scholars and activists that have produced so much literature, so you can't tell me that you don't know. I mean, the books are there. Mm -hmm. You know, go read. You know, if if you can Google how to make sourdough or or learn how to do a new TikTok dance, um, you know, you can surely you know learn how not to be racist, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, pick up some Cornell West. Come on, people. Right. You know.
1: Man, I I so appreciate y'all. Um, we're hearing a ton of lies coming out from the media um, and the people about the protests. So, what is one thing you wish they would actually accurately, accurately portray, and what is one thing you would hope future protesters? would do differently as they organize. And I'm going to start with me for this one. For me, I personally, I want to see the media and, and people who are tweeting about it or talking about it to really be mindful of their language. Stop gaslighting. Stop showing, shining a light on folks rioting looting. <laughs> I mean, literally, it's been such a small amount of folks mm-hmm. doing it. Right. Right? But a majority of the tension is being spent on a few. We have been peaceful. We have been passionate. And for what I hope some future protesters will do differently, first of all, wear a mask, right? Bring some hand sanitizer. <laughs> We're still around, you know, we don't got a vaccine yet. But, but secondly, be mindful of BIPOC, Black, Indigenous people of color own businesses. I, I love the, the, the energy y'all bring in. You're, you're full of energy, you're full of emotion, you're full of passion, you're full of resistance. And also we got to protect our own. We can't be burning down our own black and brown and indigenous and people of color owned businesses. So as I said earlier, white supremacists wants us to tear ourselves down so let's not give them what they want.
2: hmm
0: Right, right. I, I hear that. I, I mean I would also say, like, you know, I don't I don't need to see uh videos or pictures of, of cops kneeling with protesters and then an hour later they're like, you know, you know, throwing tear gas on them, right? And so yeah. I, I don't need to fuddle cops, you know, like all that's a little tired and um, you know, I, I I really want the media to portray like why all this is happening, right? You know, black people are not, not naturally like angry and, and violent, you know you know, I don't wake up and like, you know, I want to go burn some stuff down today, right? You know, so we don't wake up with the desire to like destroy stuff, right? I think most days Black people just want to be left out alone and have their expected, respect, <laughs> right? You know, so uh, you know, it's just, you know, Black people, we just, you know, exhausted from the violence and the oppression of nothing changing, mm-hmm. right? And so um, you know, we saw this with Watts in 65, LA, nice. LA rights in, in 92, Ferguson in 2014, Baltimore in 2015. Um, and, you know, now we see this in multiple cities uh, across the country. And, you know, the media just needs to focus on why this is happening and, and why America has failed Black people so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Black people, again, are, they're risking their lives, they're in to make a change. And, you know, um, I am so thankful or. I, I really recognize the energy that people are really putting out into this. Right. And so um, because I'm not a protester, you know, I, I do what I can. I, I educate, I write, I write articles and, you know, I really respect the time and energy that people have to organize and, and to lead people because I'm not that. And so I really want to give those people that are doing that work, you know, that, that, that platform. Um, and then it really can't be, you know, ignored. And, you know, you can, rebuild buildings, but you can't, you know, bring back uh, lives, right? Mm-hmm. And so I hope that, you know, future protesters understand that change, you know, in this country uh, is not a one-day affair, right? You know, you always have to fight for it. You know, it's like years and years of struggle. Um, um, and so, I, you know, for me, at the end of the day, you know, Black people need to think about rest and that rest is revolutionary as well, right? And so, because, you know, black life we're, you know, we're always moving, we're always working, we're always fighting. Um, and so rest often, you know, goes ignored, right? There's a reason why, like, as a black man, your lifespan is about 62, right? Versus, like, a white man that's in the 70s. There's a whole lot of things. And, you know, rest is one of those things that we just don't really think about um because of racism right and so uh, i i do hope that the protesters and future protesters you know they they protect their their bodies and, and their spirits right you know because in order to be free you know to the death of the system uh you know we have to survive
2: and out, out, outlast that system so mm, well said yeah and i just want to quickly echo what both of you said you know i feel like If you feel like looting and you're the looting type, go loot the corporations that fund the politicians that are doing the dirty deeds, leave those small uh, stores alone, leave the small BIPOC stores alone. And yes, please media, please focus on the reasons behind all of this, not just the results. And, you know, this is a system of pressure cooker. And like I said earlier, if it isn't being addressed and not, not necessarily solved it is going to pop off again and probably next time it'll probably be much worse.
1: Man, what a treat it is to have both of y'all on here, speaking your truths, um, educating and not just educating us and those listening, but educating the youth in, in the future generation. So we honestly couldn't do it without y'all. Um, so brother Nick and brother Amir, I, on behalf of everyone that's listening, thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing out here.
2: Hey, you too, Mike. Big thanks for getting us thank together. You.
0: Yes, this, this is great. This is therapeutic for me this, uh, to be here and talk. So thank you for the invitation.
2: Yeah. Let's do this another way. Let's stop thinking that our voice don't matter
1: and vote. Not just vote for the president, vote for the preliminaries, vote for everybody. Educate yourself. Educate yourself. Don't wait for somebody else to tell you who's who. Educate yourself and know who you're voting for. And that's how we going to hit them. Because it's, it's it's a lot of us. 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 And we still going to do this peacefully.